On this episode, we're talking about how leaning into your core strengths can be a strong foundation for your side hustle and new career. My name is Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks. This is episode 114. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks, a weekly show where we explore all the ways that we can navigate the future of work, make smart career moves, and thrive in a changing world. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Welcome. I'm so thrilled that you found me on the show. And just so you know, we are continuing on with our series on side hustles with my guest today, Dr. Michelle Mazur. Now, one of the things that I found interesting about Michelle's story is that her side project started out quite accidentally. Michelle wasn't looking to start a side project. But then a friend lobbed an interesting question to which she didn't have a good answer, which led a suggestion for her to do something about it. And Michelle went, why not? The second thing about Michelle's side gig story that I loved is that it's a return to her first love and undoubtedly her core strength, communication. She loved this field enough to get a PhD on it, but the role that she was on at that time didn't really scratch the itch. And this side project, well, let's just say it hit the spot perfectly. And when someone called her after she posted, a, let's just say a ranty blog post, and this man was inquiring about hiring her, uh, that started a side consulting business that would eventually pave the way for her ditching corporate America for good and to go all in on her own consulting practice. On this episode, Michelle shared not only how this side hustle got started, but the joys and the challenges of transitioning from corporate employment to self-employment. We talk behind the scenes about things like how starting over with a new identity makes us question our strengths initially, pricing our services for the first time, and how money mindset helps or sometimes gets in the way of things. Now, before I transition to my chat with Michelle, I just wanted to let you know that in addition to this podcast, we also publish Signals, which is a weekly newsletter of curated industry trends and the most current strategies to help you navigate and position yourself for the future of work. So for the full Second Breaks experience and to get a like a well-rounded set of tools to help you figure out and take action on your career move, make sure that you subscribe for free to Signals at secondbreaks.com forward slash signals. Okie dokie, let me get out of the way. Meet Dr. Michelle Mazur describing how her accidental side hustle got started. It's interesting because it wasn't 100% intentional. So one night I was having dinner with a friend of mine and he's like, Michelle, do you love market research? I like research. Market research is okay. I'm an academic. So, you know, it's fine. He's like, but are you super passionate about it? And I'm like, not really. It's a, it's a job. <laughs> it pays pretty well. And he just said, you know, you have all of this knowledge about communication and speaking and persuasion, and you're not doing anything with it. And I'm like, that's true. And communication is my one true love. That's why I got a PhD, not to be a researcher. I mean, I love research, but not as much as I love communication. And he just said to me, he's like, you know, you should start a blog or start anything and just put what you know about communication out into the world because it's not doing 
any good in your head. It's not helping anyone. And I was like, oh, and he was right, like right on. And and so about two months later, I launched my my blog. It was called Relationally Speaking, which is a terrible name. 100% own that. But I just, I couldn't come up with a name and I just wanted it out into the world. And so I just started out as a blogger, like just kind of sharing my insights into how people communicate and speaking and even like communication in the office place. And yeah, that's originally how it started. It was just this blog I was doing to really bring another part of myself out into the world that I wasn't using as much as I would want. Did you intend for it to become something else or you were just sharing insights? You weren't like, oh, this is going to be a business. This is going to be something. No, like I, well, I was, I didn't even know there was a thing like you could have an online business and an online presence and make money. Like literally I just started and I think I started reading like pro blogger, like Darren Rouse's stuff about how to blog. Um, and I was like, oh, this is cool. Cause it was, you know, cause I was an ac- I'm an academic, right? My writing was terrible. Like it was so boring when I first started like zero personality because <laughs> academics don't write with personality. We're not allowed. <laughs> it's not scientific. So I didn't realize that it could be a business and about Six months in, I was finally finding my voice and I wrote this super ranty blog post about how not to be a motivational speaker. And it was inspired by this event that I went to where the speaker got up in front of the room and she's like, okay, everyone stand up. And so we all stood up like good audience members. And she said, now clap. So we're clapping and we're like, what are we doing? And then she stopped us and said, you have given me a standing ovation and now I must earn it. And I'm like, nope, (laughs) no, 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 no. And during that talk, I just wrote out this like really rough draft of this blog post that was just like a massive rant about being a motivational speaker and what not to do. And it was one of those blog posts. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm scared to put this out into the world. But I I pushed publish and it went out. And a few days later, um, this man contacted me and it had the how not to be a motivational speaker in the subject line. I was like, oh man, I'm going to get yelled at. And I open it and he's like, Michelle, this is amazing. I love what you're saying here. I love your perspective. It's so fresh. And he's like, I just um, parted ways with my speaking coach and I need some help. Do you, could I hire you? And I'm like, oh, what? You want to give me money? <laughs> and I didn't have I didn't have a business model. I didn't have prices. I didn't have any I didn't have a business license, nothing. I had nothing. So we got on the phone, we're chatting, and he was giving a speech for Barbara Bush's Points of Light Foundation in front of her and all of these famous people. So <laughs> that was the speech he was giving. And that was ended up being my first client. And I was like, Oh, 
oh, well, maybe I could make money doing this. This is a thing. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. Like, people will pay me to coach them. So, yeah, that's how it evolved. So, it wasn't intentional at first. I was just blogging, and then someone wanted to give me money. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I guess to some degree, because this is your, this was your specialization, right? This is what you studied. And I, I, I would imagine the, the work that you did in academia relates to yes. communication. Oh, yes. So mm -hmm. in, in one respect, it is not a new space, but it is new in the sense that you're blogging, you're putting your, you know, ideas out there in a different voice, I suppose, right? And the business side of it. I mean, I was exposed a little bit to business through my market research job because we were working with like Fortune 500 companies. So I knew about business, but I didn't know about how to build a business, how to like price your services. Like there was a steep learning curve. Like, so for, for the coaching aspect, I was like, yeah, I mean, I was a debate coach in, in grad school and all of that. So yeah, the coaching aspect was like, oh, that's, that's easy for me. Cause that I'm drawing on my knowledge and all of my experience and all the theories I know, but the business side of things, I was like, oh, that's a steep learning curve. I know nothing about business. <laughs> So then the first client happened and you figured, oh, my God, I could actually do this. This is a thing. Did you actively look for clients at that point? Like, how did you actually get started with this path? I started, I'm a researcher, so I think I started reading everything I could possibly find about business because I think I found another person contacted me soon after and was like, oh, I want to hire you too. And then I'm like, how do I get more of that? Because that seemed like the big question, right? Like, all right, if I'm going to do this as, you know, eventually like thinking as more of like to support myself, like, how do I find these people? <laughs> <laughs> How do I get to you know get myself out there? And so I started doing a lot of like research on into marketing and sales and SEO because back then when I started, like you could still rank. I mean, some of my old blog posts on speaking still rank super high mm -hmm. on Google. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I started like learning all of those things and feels like it was a slow, gradual process of learning. Um, and it's like, I never did anything like B school or any of the big courses that were out there. And some of it was just instinctual, like, oh, I should have packages, you know, or a signature service. Like, even before I knew what a signature service was, I was kind of thinking about like, oh, well, what's the process and framework I want to take people through because that's how my brain works. So for me, it slowly developed over time. And um, the first coach I ever hired, her name is Erica Learmark. And I read her book, Think Like a Stripper, because she was a stripper here in Seattle for like nine years. And that was just in intriguing because she was taking those insights and applying them to sales and marketing. So I ended up reaching out to her and being like, hey, what do you do? <laughs> and so she told me about this program and I was like, oh, I should probably just do that program and find out more information. <laughs> At what point, Michelle, did you, did you start thinking, you know, this could become full time. Yeah, it became probably within a year of the first 
client that I had, I started talking to my husband about building this out as a business because lucky for me, my husband used to own video stores in the 90s. Like, so he owned or co-owned like three video stores here in Seattle. And so he, you know, he really understands that business lifestyle. So I started talking to him about that and he seemed very open. He was like, yeah, I could really see with all of your expertise and all of your experience, how that could be a viable business. So it took about a year and just kind of, um, also like all the personal development work that gets you out of that employee, like not even out of the employee mindset, but, um, all the money work you have to do. Like I had to do a lot of growth work to get to the point where I felt comfortable considering leaving corporate. And then at some point you decided, okay, this it's time. I'm going to close the door to, from my corporate path, corporate career and go all in. And can you share that moment with us or what was going on and what made you finally jump? Yeah. So there was one fairly major event that happened and then something that happened with my boss. And I had changed jobs by this point in time. And I should preface the story with like, I loved my boss. He was the best boss in the whole entire world. So, uh, so right before about six months before I made the decision to leave or not even made the decision to leave that I actually left, my husband's mother had passed away. She was in her eighties. She had been suffering for a long time. Um, she had dementia. She couldn't swallow anymore. So she had a, you know, a stomach peg and it was, it was a pretty horrific like experience for both of us, like that transition. Um, but with that, my husband, Glenn, got some inheritance, which meant like we now had a cushion. So because I always made more money than he did. So I was the one who was always like, oh, okay, I'm, you know, the primary breadwinner in a way. So she passed away and I was like, oh, it was like, now would be a time to start thinking about this. And he and I started having conversations and he was like, yes, because now we have this nest egg. So, you know, if things are lean, which by the way, they always will be just if you're transitioning, just plan on it <laughs> being lean at first. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, so we, we started talking about it, like after she passed away and then, um, I hadn't mentioned anything at work. And then one day at work, my boss took me out for lunch and we're talking and he was on the verge of getting this big promotion. So he's, he was super excited. Like, so he's telling me all about it. And he's like, so for what this means for you is that you really need to step up in the job and blah, 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 blah. And this is what we're going to expect. And he went on for like 15 minutes. And in my head, my dialogue is like, oh my God, I have to tell him. So he's like going on and on and on and on. And I'm like, just sitting there like not really listening and being like, oh crap, what do we do? What do I do? And finally he stopped and he's like, so what do you think? And I paused and I was like, I think I'm quitting. <laughs> he was such, he's such a good guy. He just looked at me and he's like, oh, well this changes this conversation then. <laughs> We already talked a little bit about the steep learning curve, figuring out how to run a business or how to become yes. a business owner, right? And so can you talk a little bit more about some of the challenges that you, you 
you were facing back then, Michelle, as you were making this decision, or if there was a you know something that were really was really scaring you, or making money was really scary. <laughs> well, making money in sales. Um, because I was really never in a position where I had to make sales and ask for the sale and price my work. Like it was always done for me. Yes, you might have to negotiate your salary, but I quickly realized I'm like, oh, I've got to be proactive in making, you know, like putting myself out there and getting more and more comfortable with asking for the business. And that took way longer than I thought it would to get comfortable with that. Like I always am envious of the people who are just, they seem like they were born to do sales and they're just fearless about it. And they just go and they're like, oh, I'm just going to ask for, you know, $60,000 for this program or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I could never, you know, like never ask that. And the, yeah, I, well, some people would say I'm still undercharging, but (laughs) undercharging. Mm -hmm. I realized I had a lot of money mindset issues and also some trauma around money from my childhood. And it was just like all of that was so obvious. And at one point in time, I mean, since we had the nest egg, my like my husband and I decided to take like $10,000 of that and put it into the business so that I wouldn't have to get a job and I could keep the business afloat until I figured things out because he knew how hard it is. Like he was like, it's really hard. I know you don't have a lot of overhead, but it's still really hard. The point about pricing our services or if you have a product, you pricing your product, because as an employee, you're told what your salary is, right? And so, yes, we could negotiate a little bit for, you know, more benefits and stuff. But by and large, your job says this is an 80,000 a year. This is a 100,000 a year or 130,000 a year. And that's it, right? And so you negotiate within a range. But pricing your services goes into this other self-force questions or mm-hmm. those other stupid things that <laughs> nothing to do with the actual pricing. Yes. And it's because I hate it when people say things like, oh, well, price what you're worth. I'm like, well, you're you're invaluable. Like no one can get a gazillion dollars to pay you. Like that's not really helpful. Um, and, you know, when I was coming into the business, yes, I didn't have a lot of business experience, but I was probably coming in with like 20 years of communication experience and a PhD. And when I started in public speaking coaching, like I was pretty much the only one who had a PhD in communication (laughs) because most people were like, Oh, I'm a former actor or they transitioned from corporate leadership into speaking coaching. And I was like, Oh, that's so interesting. These people really don't know. Like, I was like, they don't really know how people process messages. And so, But that was, but I didn't feel secure to price like the expert that I am. And that's also a very good point there, Michelle, because I think that's another sort of mind warp thing going on. Because on the one hand, you have all these expertise that you're bringing to the table. But then there's this other thing that says, but I'm a new business owner, as if that is dictating the pricing, right? So who cares if you're a new business owner, but you have all these skills that you're bringing to the table. But I know this is the thing that happens in our head, because that happened to me too. (laughs) 
Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, I don't have testimonials like these other people have testimonials. And it's like the first, you know, 20 years of your experience no longer exists. And that's just not true. I will tell you that you're one of the voices out there that when I read your newsletters, I never felt that I was being sold to. Like I wanted to attend your webinars, even though I know that because you're open, I'm going to talk to you about my program during the webinar. And I never felt being sold to. So I was wondering, how did you, because you were saying this is a new space for you. Where did you learn or how did you learn or who helped you? developing that space. My gosh, so many different places. So I I made the I made some of the bro marketing mistakes at the beginning because I went out and I saw like, I I forget, like I signed up for a a free three part series by a big name about how to launch your thing. And it was all like, oh, well, you have to prove that you're an expert. And if you're not an expert, don't worry about it. You can manufacture your authority. And I'm like, what? And all of like the scarcity and everything has to be about money. And I'm just like, uh, but it sucks you in, especially when you don't know how to sell like a regular human being. Um, And so for me, it was, I mean, a part of it, it's like probably by now I've done I would say probably 500 sales conversations, it feels like over seven years of business, you know? Um, So part of it is figuring out like, how, what do I value here? And how do I want to come across? Because I don't like being sold to. Most people don't like being sold to. And so I was always like anti-selling from the stage for speakers and because it just does like you don't have the relationship with those people. And I realized that you could build a relationship with people and give them a great experience and still promote your work. And because there is a balance. So like with webinars, um, I did like Amy Porterfield's webinars that convert, which was great. And it was the first time I ever sold on a webinar and it went really well. And then I realized, especially as my prices started to increase, I was like selling a high premium ticket product does not make sense on a webinar. However, getting people on a discovery call with you totally makes sense. And it's so easy and it's so authentic and it just felt really good because I want to talk to everyone I work with. Like I want to have a conversation before we decide to work together because the messaging work I do is so deep. So for me, it was this trial and error real and, and finding out like, Oh, that stuff, that scarcity, countdown timers, like overblown testimonials, like that makes me feel crappy. And I don't want to sell that way, but inviting people to talk to me and even just like the brave act that I always would have to work up to of sending an email out and being like, oh, I I could use some clients. And would you like to get on a discovery call? Now that feels normal. Like that's something you just do. You send it out and you don't think about it and you get discovery calls or you don't. And it's fine either way. (laughs) Um, But once I figured out like, oh, I really need to take this more relational approach to selling, it just became easier. And when for me also selling is about helping the other person make the best decision for them. 
And it has very little to do with me. It doesn't have anything to do with how much I'm charging or how many sessions you get. It's like, is this the best next step for you and your business? And I am, yeah, like I am very clear with people when it is not. Like I talked to someone the other day and she wasn't clear on her offer. And I'm like, you can't work on your messaging until you know what you're selling. (laughs) And she's like, oh, There are a lot of people or there are more, I think there are more coaches out there who call them s- themselves speech coaches mm-hmm. who help you deliver a speech, you know, that kind of stuff. But your space is unique. So I was wondering, was that a conscious decision on your part to say, well, you know, I have to find my own differentiating sort of thing or it just evolved based on your skill set and the clients you were getting? And how did you get to that? specific. Yeah, I think part of it is that I am particularly gifted at figuring out how other people process a message. So I'm really, really good at if you give me something that whether it's your positioning for your business or a speech, I can tell you what's going to push away your audience or what's going to cause friction and what's going to draw them in and nod their head yes. So I've always, and it's partially because of my, I mean, communication is pretty much a message processing degree. And so for me, that's always like, I mean, I can help you deliver a speech, but I don't want to. Like, Mm. that's kind of boring for me. But getting into like the brain of your audience and figuring out the precise words that help move them forward on their journey with you, that's what I love doing. And as my work evolved from from working on keynote speeches to the messaging positioning work I do with the three-word rebellion, like, like, that is all I do now. Like I think about verbs. I mean, I just wrote a comment like, I love this verb, um, which seems so bizarre, but when we are like, but that's what I'm looking for. Like I want to figure out like what message is going to catch somebody's attention or make them curious or, or want to know more because that message piece we don't talk enough about in business. Cause like after you have a business model, you need to nail your messaging and people skip over that. It's like, business model. Oh, and now do like Facebook ads or create a course or blah, blah, blah. And you're like, you don't know how to talk about the thing you do. Right, right. What say in the Facebook ad or in the webinar? You don't know. What I'm hearing from you is that your direction was very much influenced by this is my skill set. This is what I bring to the table as opposed to what is the external market all about? And what are the, you know, Yes, yes. Well, and what's great now, and I think, you know, you've gotten to a good point in your business when you're actually bringing all of your skills and your strengths to the table when you're doing work with clients, because now I get to bring my research skills because I look at my clients free writing like it's data and do a little qualitative analysis. And then I'm still using all of those communication skills. And I'm really gifted at telling you what makes you unique and different and stand out. And all three of those I'm bringing together into the messaging positioning customer journey work. I do because I see all of those and I'm so comfortable like tapping into those skills. And really that's going to be how you create something that's unique and different in your marketplace. 
you mentioned the phrase that I've been dying to talk to you about. You slipped it in a, a few minutes ago, three-word rebellion. And I know that this is your latest project. So even, even within your business, you continue to evolve. Could you talk a little bit about the genesis of that, how that came about? It came about because I was frankly over talking about speaking. I was over some of the shenanigans of how the speaking industry is set up. Um, I was, and I didn't want to talk anymore about how to get paid as a speaker and how to pitch yourself and how to write a speech. And I felt like all of that stuff was just, I could be replaced by Google. And it made me realize that I really lost like my why for doing my business, which has always been, I believe communication changes the world. And I was like, oh man, I am so far away from that. And I am so sick of talking about speaking. I feel like I have nothing left to say. And this is probably like three or four years in full time to the business. And I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. And I always knew that my clients would take the work that we would do and they would use it in different ways in their business. I would see it like pop up in the copy they were writing on sales pages, or they would turn it into like a video series. And I was like, wow, I really wonder if my work could apply in like for business messaging in general. And so this was around Christmas time of what, 2017? Yeah, I guess it would have been 2017. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sit with this and see what happens because everything's on hiatus. I have downtime. And then something interesting happened. I started using that research brain of mine and I noticed a pattern. And what I saw was with all of the social movements that were popping up in the United States, like Black Lives Matter or Me Too or Never Again, what I loved about social movements is that they are so clear in articulating the change they want to create in just a few words. And I'm like, that is really amazing. And then I realized that the business owners that I most loved and admired did the same thing. Like Simon Sinek, start with why, Mel Robbins, five second rule. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Social movements do this. Really successful entrepreneurs do this. And I said, I wonder if I could take some of the questions from social movement theory about how movements form, what are you moving away from, what are you rebelling against, and apply it to business. So I started experimenting on my clients <laughs> with their permission. <laughs> and what I found is that if I could get them just kind of writing and ranting and not thinking that I could find like that really succinct message that summarized what they're all about and the change they want to create really easily. Like it was already there. I could just dig it out, use those research skills. And I'm like, ooh, that's super cool. And then I told a friend of mine about it and she's like, oh, you should write a book about that. You should call it something like the three word speech. And I'm like, mm, no, no, not speech. We're, we're moving away from speech. I'm like, three word is great, right? I was like, that's catchy because people always struggle with messaging and how do I make it more succinct? And I was like, and I just sat with it. And I was like, oh, it's right in my brand. My business is called Communication Rebel. It's the three word rebellion, of course. And that's how it was born. And as an academic, I did what academics do. We get an idea and we're like, I'm just going to write a book about it. Because my husband was like, of course you are. It was my third book. He's like, you always write a book about whatever is new in your head. <laughs> so is the three-word rebellion primarily 
for business owners or is it also for people who are in the speaking, has a speaking career? Yeah, I feel like, so in some ways, I feel like I wrote a personal development book disguised as a business book, unknowingly, because I would say, yeah, the three word rebellion is for business owners. It is for speakers. It is for people who are trying to create change within an organization that they might work in. Like entrepreneurs, I've heard people tell me that they use it as a personal mantra because the free writing exercises I give, it doesn't just have to be about business, right? It can be about like your personal beliefs or what's going on in your organization that you're rebelling against or trying to create change around and you need a message to lead with. So yeah, it's written for business owners and speakers and entrepreneurs, but it can be used for anyone who wants to kind of disrupt the status quo, whether that's in your life or in the place you work for. Totally. I did uh, I did those exercises myself and you're totally right. So I could imagine like, so for example, if you're within a corporation and you've just been promoted to head a particular division or a particular group, you could do those free writing exercises mm-hmm. and um, crystallize what your mission as a leader is going to be. Mm-hmm. And then you give your people a way to talk about that and to like spread it as well. So they have that common language. You have mentioned, think of think like a stripper earlier on. And of course, you've written a book yourself. But is there a book that you could recommend that has made an impact on you, your life, your career or your transition? Yeah, I would say there were two books that kind of opened up my eyes to what was possible. The first one was um, Chris Gillibo's $100 Startup, which is a great book, like if you're thinking about going into business and how you can do it really lean and without a lot of money. And just like hearing about all the different businesses people created was amazing. So I recommend that book. And the other book was around the first, it was the first money mindset book I have ever read. And that was Denise Dovefield's Thomas's Get Rich Lucky Bitch book. Like it's really, it's a fun read. She's very conversational. And it was because when I realized I had a money mindset problem, I was like, crap, what do I do about it? And everybody's like, oh, read Denise's book. And I'm like, yep. So if you have, and I know it's been recently updated. So I highly recommend Get Rich Lucky Bitch, even with the cheeky title. But yeah, it's a great book for working on your money stuff. And uh, finally, Michelle, tell us a little bit about where we can find you online, also where we can find your book. Yes. So you can find the Three Word Rebellion book on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Book Depository, which is great for international books if you're international and listening to this. And then you can find me. The best place to like interact with me is Instagram. So I'm at Dr. Michelle Mazer on Instagram. And you can always come over to my website to find out more about the work I do at DrMichelleMazer.com. Awesome. Michelle, thank you so much. Thank you for being gracious and being open, peeling back the curtains and sharing with with us some of the behind the scenes. Thank you. You are so welcome, Lou. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed talking. I hope you found this episode useful. For the show notes, all the links and the transcript of my conversation with Dr. Michelle Mazer, head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcasts. And remember, for the full Second Breaks experience, subscribe to Signals to get curated industry trends, strategies, and real talk about the future of work. 
Next week, my guest is Karina Skibinski, an occupational therapist who started a side hustle with a co-worker. We chat about where they got the idea to begin with and the key to making a side gig partnership work. And so if you haven't yet, now is a good time to subscribe to the podcast via whatever app it is that you are using right now to listen to this episode. Or if you happen to be listening to this one on the website, you will find options for podcast apps right there below the audio player as well. One last favor, if you like listening to this podcast and find it useful, I would so appreciate it if you would share and tell your friends about it. Okie dokie, I will be back next week with Karina and her side hustle story. Until then, keep on making your dirt, my friend. Cool beans! <laughs>